Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us today are Yassi Hachibashi and Keith Armstrong from Stretch Fintech, a brand new fintech dedicated to the millions of people with a conviction history and also their families. Welcome to the show, both of you. And thank you again to my dear friend, Mary, for connecting us. This is, I'm losing count, but she always sends like the most wonderful ideas for us to, to tell stories on the show. So welcome both. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. Yay. So I am sure a lot of our listeners would want to know how did the idea for Stretch first came about? But before we go there, I am dying to know how did the two of you meet and how did this whole, I like the whole journey started? Well, I can kick off ladies first. Um, I would say God and the universe brought us together. No, but jokes aside, um, we're both living in South Africa. When we met, I was at that time chief innovation officer for Barclays. And as part of my responsibilities, I hosted a Techstars Accelerator program. So Keith and I actually met through a Techstars program back in 2017. And he was one of the companies that was going through the program. And um, we've been rocking and rolling ever since then. I had the wisdom to uh, follow her out here to, to Dallas, where we've since started our life and uh, are now building this company together. Wow. And it was interesting to pull me up into South Africa already on two different occasions and live there and work there. And he can tell you all about that. But uh, they always say all good things come in threes. The third time was the big charm. He came with his own company and he happened to meet me. That is awesome. Yes. Oh, I like those stories because I remember, Keith, when I last met you, that was quite a few years ago. I was in Boston, Mark and Banker AI show. You were sitting right behind me. You tapped my shoulder and said, hey, are you Theo? Because you recognize my face, my big fat face from Twitter. And um, that was all I remembered. And that and the next thing you know, I looked, I'm like, wait, you what stretch? What? What, what is this? So this is this is really, really cool. So congrats again. And I want to know more. So on your website, you guys have described the mission as empower the millions of justice involved individuals and their families to become financially strong. I did a double tick and I thought justice involved individuals. I know that you guys probably selected those words with much thoughts and care. And there is reason behind how you phrase what you say, because the mission is important. So I want to know a little bit more about that. And I also wanted to hear a little bit more about the challenge that the community faced. Um, you know, getting access to bank accounts is just one of the many things. How, and everything, I know this is a really long question. How is Stretch planning to support all of that? Sure. You want to take a stab at that? or? Yeah, so I can start about the origin of the idea and the motivation to want to go and really launch this as a mission together. Um, it was during the pandemic and actually last year, so much along during the pandemic, where we ran across this Wall Street Journal article that talked about the challenges that formerly incarcerated people face upon their return to home. 
and um, starting from just wanting to open a bank account, finding a job, getting housing, getting access to credit or start rebuilding their credit, just numerous, numerous. And it really intrigued us because I have been working in banking for over 10 years and focusing on specifically consumer banking and product innovations to help bring more populations into the banking system. And I've never heard about that. So I was immediately intrigued. Keith read the article, was also immediately intrigued. So just the way our curious nature works, we wanted to go and just validate how, how, is, how big is this problem here in the United States? So in the article, a person was called um, and quoted Aaron Smith, who owns a podcast where he talks to individuals who come out of prison and go entrepreneurial journeys that they start their own businesses and actually thrive back into society. So we connected with him and we started connecting with individuals from his show and spoke ourselves face to face to individuals who have gone through this range entry journey. And we just were blown away by the kindness, the resilience, the inspiring stories of how much adversity these individuals have overcome to really build their lives back together. And when we started doing some research and seeing, wow, this is a big problem in size in the United States. We're like, if you don't do this, who else? And if not now, then when? And just to add to that, one of the things that struck us as we started our discovery of this of this space and, and hearing people's stories was just the, the selflessness of everybody that we had met. They all were very motivated and wanted to bring up other people in the community who had shared their experience of incarceration. And that was something that we were both very much inspired by and said, you know, these are the type of people we want to work with. These are the type of people we want to build solutions for. And it's um, just a really, I think, special thing to think about how the community is really focused on bringing each other up. And the key, I think, interesting part is justice involved, as you kept emphasizing, so it is interesting how it gets segmented in the U.S. per the criminal justice statistics and research reports that you read. There is consistently a number that gets flowing around 17 million to 100 million people in the United States live with an arrest record. You can get arrested for many different reasons. It could end up being a demeanor or a felony. Our target focus is helping those with a felony conviction. So at least right now, because they are truly the individuals most in need, they serve time in prison and come back and have to overcome numerous challenges to really, you know, stabilize and build their lives back in society. And that's 20 million in the United States who actually live with felony convictions. I, I did remember reading something a while ago about the demographics of people, right? It, it is very skewed and it's skewed for a million reasons. Human bias is a big one of that. Um, I am curious. So I remember reading, um, I think it was probably Mary's article or somewhere that the first step is um, understanding that a lot of these folks, because of the time that they have spent in prison, they either have trouble with their credit history, some of the bank accounts that closed. So walk me through what are some of the services that you guys are providing to this community of 20 million people? Wow, I'm blown away right now, but. 
Yeah, I think um, it's a very interesting population to design and, and build solutions for. As a matter of fact, this morning we, we spoke to one gentleman who was incarcerated at the age of 16. So he's spent most of his life in, incarcerated. He's been out six years. You know, I think he served, uh, I believe it was 24 years or something to that effect. So, um, you know, if you can just even have a, you know, a little bit of uh, empathy and understanding for what that's like, not, not many people can um, in, in terms of what that journey of, of reentry is truly like. So when we think about, you know, designing solutions for stretch, um, the design of the product and the, the trust that it has to impute to individuals is incredibly important. Um, I think particularly in digital banking, uh, there's a lot of UI and UX that is assumed and sort of taken for granted. And so really being um, cognizant of, of people whose digital uh, literacy um, is, is not what the average users is. And then having that that trust um, is is really really important. So the two things we're focused on now is helping people open up a bank account that is fee free, as well as find employment from nearby uh, employers who are fair chance verified. We do this through an integration with our partner Honest Jobs, and really you know helping people get banked and find work are, are really two important steps of the reentry process. But, um, you know, housing, ID, food security, there's, I mean, there's not short a uh, list of, of challenges to, to work through, but banking and jobs are, are the first two that we're tackling with Stretch. And also um, important to highlight when you look at the recidivism as an issue in communities that people come out happen to go back within two or three years, the number one reason that comes out again and again is because not having had sources of wage income or having had chances to actually earn income. And that really made us prioritize, you know, we can't go and solve all of these right out of the gate with our first product, but what are the one or two things we're gonna really prioritize that is gonna make an impact is helping people start making money as soon as possible because we know how important that is to reduce the chances of recidivism, so. Because that's at least you're giving them a chance to restart their lives, right? Because otherwise, I mean, everything is so stacked up against them. It, it's hard. I, I can't even imagine, like, just looking through some of the stats, you know, we've seen the last two years because of COVID, because of economic conditions and how, Many people, even without records, without issues, they have trouble getting internet access, they have trouble getting jobs, stable jobs, and, and all of those. Food insecurity in this country is ridiculous, especially for a country that is supposedly one of the wealthiest and one of the most connected. Um, so I can't even imagine if you add even more stuff on top of it and, and what what comes out on the other side. So kudos to, to you too. Um, for recognizing the need and also have the guts to to go after that to do something about it um one of the things we talk a lot about the show and um you know that we wanted to feature and highlight stories like yours is this is a need there are lots of needs everywhere um and there's also talent and opportunities everywhere right so 
to enable you to do what you do, to enable us to do a lot of things we do. Partners, network of support, ecosystems, all of that is very crucial. You mentioned a little earlier about employment and fair opportunity. Can you tell us a little bit more about if there are other organizations you're working with or perhaps in the very near future, who would you be, you know, envisioning from an ecosystem perspective? What does that look like? Sure. So I think Keith highlighted very well initially talking about um, the importance of trust in this community. What we've learned throughout, you know, these past few months in our direct conversations is individuals come out and there is a certain degree of mistrust, specifically also towards financial services providers because of either experiences they've had in the past or just not believing that there is good intention behind trying to offering them services. So partnering up with a combination of individuals who are trusted in the community, but have a voice and have a presence complemented with organizations, which is mostly either nonprofits or faith or church organizations that have, you know, um, the trust of the community and provide maybe other re-entry services is very, very important for us. We already have one in California called Anti-Recidivism Coalition. So they actually have a footprint across the entire state of California. They are uh, in connection with 10,000 individuals who are actively or formally incarcerated. Beyond trying to help you know, with re-entry services such as mentorship, coaching, et cetera, they also push for policy reform. We are now in conversation with Homeboy Industries, which is similar in their efforts to ARC. But having said that, I think also a combination of social media and um, um, community, um, let's how call it, uh, community um, agents who have you know gone on entrepreneurial journeys, but now are really interested in giving back, will be part of our pipeline as well. And escaping the odds media that I mentioned at the beginning, you know, Aaron Smith, he has become a partner in crime, so he's on the media side, one that we are collaborating very closely with. I feel like it takes a village. Um, <laughs> I think it does, um, especially in our industry. I feel like anything that you're trying to move the needle on anything that's meaningful, um, it's challenging. I don't need to preach to both of you. <laughs> You've been here for a long time. Um, and we don't lack talent, right? We don't lack resources. I think that's the one frustrating part as, um, you know, there's there's tons of many. If you take a seat back and, and look at especially last year, record funding going in all tech startups, record funding going into FinTech, record funding going into male founded startup. But yet, if you look at female start, started, it's, it, it's like, oh, wait, we are at the lowest percentage we've been for the last five years, not because there's lack of money enough because miraculously we, we lost all the female founders. Enough digression. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel like, you know, for a lot of communities, we talk a lot about community fintechs. We talk a lot about needs for people, right? The immigrants, communities of color, um, small business owners, gig economies, and and the new demographics you're talking about. There's a lot of gaps everywhere that need to get closed. I feel hopeful about some of the newer innovations that's coming through um, in the last two years that's starting to address some of those gaps. Curious to know, based on you know the two of you from with your backgrounds and your understanding of how the, the industry is right now. 
Do you feel the same optimism? Do you think we're finally getting there? Or how do you see what's going to transpire this year? Sure, I, I, I'm hopeful. I think, you know, more people attacking these problems will only yield benefits. Having said that, I, I think it's important that the people you are particularly, and I put a post up about this on, on LinkedIn, I feel like, you know, for community fintechs, we, I, I feel like the community that you're serving should have ownership in, in the company and be able to participate on the upside in, in that value creation. I know that's something that's really important to us at Stretch is um, making sure that we evolve into a community-owned platform of organized capital that can unlock a lot of opportunities for cooperative economics and everybody, you know, sharing in the value creation. So not to go off on, on that tangent, but I am hopeful that um, more people attacking these problems <clears throat> will yield positive benefits and um, we'll, time, will, time will tell, but I know we're working really hard on it. Yes, yeah, what do you think? I, I, I mean, this is something <laughs> we talk about every day, to be quite frank, um, especially as more and more players are coming to market, trying to establish communities around specific attributes or needs of consumers out there. I think it would also depend on what holds that community together. Are you just, you know, trying to establish a community based on characteristics that may just be, you know, um, very emotional and it may come and go versus are they truly, you know, more steady, permanent characteristics that are going to hold the community together so that service providers can really grow sustainable businesses in there. Um, I would like to thank, you know, Daylights that has, you know, started a digital bank um, for LGBTQ community or us stretch that is specifically for individuals who have had an experience with the justice system and are trying to get their lives back on track. There is a longer term need, you know, for a service provider to come and start with entry level value addition to their lives and then expanding on that in the next five to ten years and if that promise really starts showing benefits which is we want to help people build financial strength then i really truly believe the power of the community will win as long as they can be part of it and also own a stake in, in how the companies evolved over the long time so to your point i think there is more than ever hope for impact with community players but i think it will plan out what were the foundations based on which the community was formed in the first place and then number two how the service providers evolves the community together with the community members so i'm curious because if we take a look at you know a lot of the fintechs and some of the features feature sets that they have um, you know created for lack of better words, um, earned wage access, for example, um, or, you know, no late fees, we've started to see incumbents copying some of that, right? Mm -hmm. Not because they couldn't do it before, just, you know, perhaps lack of incentive. Do you see them expanding into serving more communities um, as you guys are doing right now? I think so. I think so. I'm really like trying who really broad 
this entire feature of, hey, no fees on overdrafts as long as you are direct depositing into a Chime account. And now, finally, years later, we're seeing, you know, the incumbent banks are adopting the same because it's the right thing to do. And they realize you can always make money through alternative ways. You know, that's the beauty. If, if you have a creative mindset of how you can add value and make money, you don't have to just, you know, bet on one arena. Um, for us, I would say, you know, or specifically community players, I think it will be very similar. Like one specific challenge right now we see, we are trying to sign up individuals, but a lot of returning citizens, they go to, for example, transitional housing first, or to spend time, you know, in halfway houses before they can transfer out and rent an apartment. And in society right now, um, for whatever reason, these transitional houses can get labeled as commercial residences because nonprofits, you know, offer them and they get listed as commercial. Um, traditional account opening policies do not accept these because for individual account opening, you need to provide a residential address, not a commercial address. Even though at the end of the day, these individuals are using it as a residential address. But these are again, things where I'm hoping community players such as us and others can come in and help, you know, think differently and solve for it and do it the right way. And then down the road, incumbents can also address, you know, and adopt the same practices. Yeah, I would just quickly add the productization of the CIP KYC process by vast vendors uh, needs more nuance. Uh, Ultimately, it's approved by their bank partners, but there needs to be some some more nuance here for this, you know, particular demographic and how they actually are, are living in transitional housing. I, I can't imagine we had a similar conversation with um, with cheese. Last year, um, they, they're focused on on Asian immigrants and the challenges that they face, you know, when when they move here to this country, there's a lot of things that's happening, you know, not being able to bring the credit, you know, for example, not having, you know, a, a social security because they're not citizens and, and all of that, there's or employment records, right? There are a slew of things that you know, and, and the nuances around it, and borrowing your word, Keith, um, that we don't think about or we didn't know, or, you know, a lot about the demographics you're serving right now that I didn't know until I read Mary's article until I started reading about what you guys are doing. So um, much, much to do, much to be done. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's good. I like, I like what you guys say, hope for impact. Um, there's hope. So um, I always say, you know, when humanity can make its way to mars you cannot tell me you cannot solve these challenges <laughs> oh yes i i i i use that a lot if um if you can shoot yourself up to space because you want to there's no reason why we can solve hunger right <laughs> you travel awesome. to space for leisure come on <laughs> so so um yeah that, that i i won't i won't go there um there's a big Oxfam uh, <laughs> report that came out that was just astounding um, about the wealth that the world's 10 wealthiest men own, that they could actually each spend a million dollars a day, each of them. So imagine 10 millions a day that they can spend. It would take them four 
114 years before they can spend it all. Now wow. imagine that's how much wealth there is. Again, to our listeners, I have no problem with capitalism. I have no problem with people making money, but I do have a little bit of, of uneasiness about how the money is made and how about how the sausage making is being enabled and how wealth and innovation and opportunities might need to be redistributed a little bit. Anyway, enough about that. The last two years. Oh, the percentage <laughs> of the redistribution. I think that's what we're trying to Right? Like, just, just you know, give people a chance. You know, not saying that you have to give up everything. Um, and I'm not about to label people. So, but let's, let's, let's look back at the last two years. Um, I think regardless of where we live, regardless of what we were doing, um, it's been, it's been quite a journey. We're stepping into year three. A lot of things have happened. Um, there's still a lot of uncertainty, but there's also a sense of optimism. I, I'm curious, how has that impacted you two, both personally and professionally, now that I did realize that you read the article and it um, amounts to everything else? You guys started a new company, so beyond that. <laughs> how are you two? I would say for us, the pandemic actually reaffirmed that we can also work together. Not only are we enjoying the experiences as a married couple on the personal side, but we want to take it to the next level. Um, funnily, you know, when the lockdowns happened back in 2020, I was at Citigroup at that time and Keith was doing, you know, another startup at that time. And um, we got locked up into a hotel room because we had construction going on at our house here in Dallas. So for about four weeks, we had to coordinate our work schedules in one tiny hotel room. Imagine I had to sit on work calls and we survived that. And it wasn't really bad at all. It took probably a couple of days to just coordinate the schedules and agendas. And then it worked really well. And then we came back home and the pandemic kept dragging on and on and on. And we decided to do the business together. We had no hesitations whatsoever. We're like, yeah, let's do this. So, and we always look at one of our couple inspirators that we always look at in the digital world is like Kevin and Julia Hartz, who are the founders of Eventbrite. And they're not even married. They were just engaged when they started their business and they did really, really well. And, you know, read articles about them and it really inspired us. It is doable. You know, this is not, we are not the first to do it. Many others have done it and we can do it too. And I would, I would just add that I think we very quickly saw how fragile uh, the world is and how quickly things can change. And so when we reflect on how we're spending our time, I think it's important that we're, we're doing things that, uh, you know, we're in love with. And in fact, that's one of our principles uh, of the company is, you know, be in love with the work and, the collective impact that, that you're having in the world. And, you know, this is something we drew inspiration from, um, you know, not to get emotional, but one of our investors, Brandon DeWitt, who unfortunately passed away recently. Um, I think everyone knew about him and his, uh, how we would talk about the nobility of banking. And it's, it's just important that you um, understand that connection of your work and understand how it, matters to others and into the world. I can't agree more. I, I still remember that the day when we found out 
Um, yes. So um, he, he is an inspiration. He was an inspiration. He'll continue to be an inspiration. And um, and I'm glad you two are doing what you're doing right now. The, the world needs more people like you. Um, and you're absolutely right. I think if we were to sit back and reflect upon whatever challenges that we seem to have, you know, experienced personally, professionally, I think it's also a um, opportunity for us to recognize in many ways how lucky we are to be in, you know, where we are right now. We had access to to vaccine. We have access to medication. We have access to internet. That's how we're chatting right now. Um, where not everyone has that access to the opportunity. So it's a chance to be grateful. Mm-hmm. As much as I feel like, you know, I keep telling my kids, I love you too, but you know, one and a half years of homeschooling is a lot. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> um, so let's close with this. Um, in, in the topic of hope for the better and the topic of optimism and the topic of having the power to change the ecosystem, that seems like it at times it doesn't want to move at all. If you could change anything, just curious, not a trick question. Um, what would that be and why? And um, before we close, I want to hear um, where you two are planning to take stretch. Go ahead. Um, I, I maybe touched on it earlier in the conversation when we think about you know community having ownership. Um, that that's something I'd like to see you know, change in the future of business models where the the value creation is more equally distributed amongst, you know, the community that is being served. Um, that That is where we're taking stretch. It's important that people have, have ownership and upside in, in what we're doing. So I think that's, um, can ultimately be a long-term, you know, benefit to, to the company's sustainability and, um, yeah, I think that's that's where that's where we're going with stretch, community-owned platform. I think the only thing I would change about the past, um, I wish we could have started this even a few years earlier. You know, we would have run into this, and we would have started this already four years ago. You know, so because just of the urgent need for a service provider who addresses the unique money challenges, but also non-banking challenges that, however, have a financial impact on people's lives. Um, I wish we could have already started this a few years ago. So, but more, more pressure now to keep going fast, so. love that and for our listeners i'm so sorry apologize you won't be able to see the beautiful picture that's in front of me now but you two are amazing and i just love seeing what you it's i i do not have the right adjective to describe this but you are just amazing and cute and wonderful and just yes i am lacking proper words you don't always rest the same it was coincident this morning so (laughs) and you guys match too gosh okay all right (laughs) this is wonderful i can't wait to to hear um where you will be next and hopefully hopefully fingers crossed one of these days if and when we do do get out of this pandemic i will be able to meet you too and um and to see where you are and celebrate where you where you will be so thank you so much keith and yassi for joining us on the show today and for the rest of you do check out stretch fintech and the wonderful work they're doing and we'll talk to you all next week <music>